Greetings both history fans and film fans. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at History and Film. It's a good way to know when new episodes drop or just see other interesting history or film tidbits. And if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at simmons at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. And I'm Logan Denning. And after going through all of world history, one movie at a time, in a hundred some movies, let's guess 122. That sound about right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> one of these days we'll count them. We wanted to kind of sum up that whole phase of the project by looking at who were the most interesting people in world history. Right, and the only uh, criteria that we had was that they had to be at least mentioned in an episode. So, like we've said before, Leonardo da Vinci, unfortunately not in this bracket, maybe would have been the winner of the whole thing, but uh, we didn't talk about him, so we're not covering him. Uh, and, and same with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, well, and we also uh, tried to keep this to a lot more world history outside of the United States. I don't know if we've actually talked about this aspect of the bracket, but um, because we are planning on doing American History 100, right. and we'll likely do this exact same thing after that series is done, then we wanted to try and uh, reserve some of the uh, Americans for, for that bracket. We do have a couple of Americans in this bracket, but uh, right. for the most part, you know, we don't have Teddy Roosevelt in here winning the whole thing. Spoiler <laughs> alert, possibly, for uh, American history bracket. <laughs> true, true. Uh, that'll, 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 be a, that'll be a few years from now. We've got to get through a lot still. So yeah, this first round, more kind of just knee-jerk, arbitrary, superficial, just kind of what, how do we feel without doing a ton of deep diving on the research? Who's more interesting and more worthy of advancing to the Sweet 16? Right. And our matchups today, we have the famed musician Mozart versus the conniving yet possibly patriotic Cardinal Richelieu of France, and then Queen Elizabeth I, long may, or not long may she reign, long did she reign, uh, <laughs> versus Wyatt Earp, the Old West lawman himself. And so we will start, which is kind of the impartial case for and against Mozart, uh, Mozart in his matchup versus Cardinal Richelieu. So... Mozart is very interesting and mm-hmm. kind of un- even unique on this list. I, I feel like most of these people are politically... Is he the only one that's not politically involved at some on some level? He might be literally... Well, Helen Keller. I used to say him, him and maybe Helen Keller. Although she got right. into politics, political stuff, but not... Right, she say, was an she, activist for political stuff, true. but not a politician herself. Right, right. Maybe a T.E. Lawrence. He, he's, you know... I mean, maybe, I, yeah. If we have the bracket, I could look just real fast. Um, right, right. But as Jesus. far as... <laughs> true, true. But as far as... Any, at least... Okay, even if they didn't hold office, they release activists. So basically, Mozart might be the only one on right. this list who is neither a politician, general, or activist of some kind. Is that fair? <laughs> I I almost said, oh, well, John Glenn was an astronaut, but then I was like, oh, wait, no, he did become a senator later. Right, so that, right. <laughs> that doesn't track. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think, so he's, right off the bat, Mozart is unique on this entire list. Right. And what's interesting, too, is I think he, he almost, in a way, kind of fits some of the different hats things we were talking about, even though you would see him as just a musician, in that he goes from this wunderkind 
you know, who his father at like, you know, six years old is taking him around Europe to put in front of kings and important people to kind of show off, look how talented my son is. But we even at that time see in the in the film, uh, Salieri's father say, oh, it's just he's just nothing but a trained monkey. And now we don't know if that actually was said, but you could see that being the sentiment. They're like, oh, wow, this kid is really impressive. But is he actually doing anything other than just, right. I was told to pound the keys like this. And he is just a trained monkey. But then he goes right. from that to legitimately being one of the greatest geniuses of all time artistically. Right. And this is one of those things where it's really fortuitous for the world because we got Mozart's music, but also for Mozart that he was a child prodigy. He was obviously very talented from a young age, but he also just happened to be born to a father who's also a musician and composer and like can recognize at like three years old, oh, my son's got this really special gift. I know exactly what this means and I'm also going to exploit it. But had he been born to, you know, another family, maybe he doesn't fully realize his his potential as a musician. True, and I guess it'd be easy to see early on how... Was he actually that talented, or is this just a father who's in the musical world who's right. pushing it on his son, regardless of whether or not he has the capacity? And it's almost a coincidence that he had the capacity. Yeah. Like you said, I had never thought about it that he is kind of just recognizing that, right. that genius. It'd be like a professional athlete recognizing that, oh, my kid's yeah. really good too. I was gonna, I was just gonna compare him to like, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of like really high level athletes that you see where it's like, oh, are they, you know. Obviously, there is talent there, and you know you have a lot of genetics on your side if your parent is also an athlete. But then, how much of that is due to the fact that you've been doing this one thing super intensely since you've since three years old, since you can walk, right? You have been doing this one thing, being an athlete, a musician, whatever. Like you're gonna be good at it. And then you get into the whole idea that he, you know, the the money struggles. So while he's all, you know, a workaholic, and then the whole party thing. So we saw in the movie Amadeus how he's kind of this party guy, yeah. and that was. I, I re-listened to my episode there, and it, it sounds like my conclusion was that was mostly accurate. He was probably not super obnoxious with that laugh and everything like we see, but he was mm-hmm. kind of a mess, and I think that that was accurate, right? And he. I think it it is uh, kind of historically known that he pretty much spent his money as fast as he made it. Yes, exactly. So he's, he was always working, but he almost couldn't keep up. Right. He's definitely a guy who burned the candle at both ends, you know, like we would say today. For sure. Or 100 years ago. Whatever they said. We are people burned candles. Right. So, like he, so he's obviously known for his classical music. It's still appreciated and studied today but he also wrote a lot of like really dirty kind of raunchy songs for like his friends and stuff that are if you look up the lyrics they're really gross oh really Um, (laughs) but it's but it's just it's kind of it's kind of funny you know you before if you if you don't know anything about mozart and the only thing you know is oh he writes this you know classical music that a lot of times the classical music just as a whole is kind of uh synonymous with like you know, stuffiness and, uh, you know, straight laced. But, uh, yeah, so some of his, uh, his songs that he would write, not necessarily for his operas, but like for his friends and stuff were absolutely disgusting. Right. (laughs) And just, and just again, how they weren't as stuffy as they seem. Everyone's living in their present. And so, yes, we associate pictures of this time with the old days because it was like, that's how time works. So it was long ago. 
but he was a rock star. This guy was innovative yeah. and a musical genius, and he was just working in the world at the time. I think he's one, if Mozart were born today, I don't even know who you would compare him to, but I think he would just he would be doing a different style of music. You know, he'd be a you know a Paul McCartney type, but honestly, pretty more, more innovative. I say more innovative than that because we're fifty years past the Beatles now. But that innovative, I guess I would say, is like is the the impact that the Beatles right, made. Yeah. That was that was what Mozart was doing just you know three hundred years ago or whatever. Right. Yeah. I I uh, I saw a video where they compared him to uh, Michael Jackson. Oh, I think that that comparison is apt because right with the young, how he was viewed young and stuff, and but then actually musical genius. That's yeah, right. Child prodigy, musical genius, pushed into that world real hard right. by their dad, and then later on in life, because they kind of didn't have a childhood, they kind of revert back to these like childish ways, and that's exactly the same thing that I, yeah, Mozart I think did. that's that's a very good comparison, minus any. Yeah, creepy impropriety, criminal stuff. Right. The other yes, end. that's right, obviously right. not a one to one. Right. 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 <laughs> but no, I, I think you're onto something. Yeah. The, the yeah, that's that's well said. The the case against Mozart, the, it kind of it's the one hat argument. It's the it's, it's the yeah. one hat. Yeah. He's he's just a musician. And he he like he died pretty early, so he you know he was interesting. He did a lot of cool stuff. Wrote a lot of good music. Had an interesting life, but it just wasn't very long and that's not necessarily like a lot of the people on this list died young and that is kind of you that know, almost kind of maybe, makes it more interesting it's almost kind of the he's janice joplin and Jimi hendrix we talked about him being a rock star kirk cobain right, although yeah. that's that was mozart mozart's in that group he wasn't 27 he was 35 but right. it's the same thing or right. he just kind of was in poor health probably because of his lifestyle and of course obviously medicine was different back then and maybe he would have been alive if he was born in the 20th century right. but <laughs> Yeah, he was the definitely the party hard, died young rock star. It's just hard for that to be relayed to today's audience. Right. Okay. His opponent is Cardinal Richelieu from the Three Musketeers. So he's one of the historical figures yeah. in the Three Musketeers. The Three Musketeers and D'Artagnan are kind of just amalgamations and, and fictional depictions by Dumas versus Cardinal Richelieu, who's kind of set up to be the villain in the Three Musketeers is a very interesting historical figure. And the one I thought more so yeah. than the other from the Three Musketeers stands out as kind of having a unique life. Because obviously the kings and queens mentioned, they're just kind of the standard born into royalty and yeah, they're important, yeah, interesting in their own ways. But Richelieu had a very interesting journey to prominence within France and then a very important role in France. And almost had like more political power than or was or i guess you could say was like the real political power behind louis the 13th yes like i mean yeah louis the 13th is the king but he was kind of a soft little baby boy and uh cardinal richelieu was was pulling major strings i i yeah I, that was i saw a video people love these game of thrones and you and i both do as well but basically it said like he's varus and Littlefinger. it combined yeah and exactly. uh, as like the main advisor to Louis the Thirteenth, of course, yeah. he's also off and on. He's you know over the years of you know he gets kind of booted from court and, and all the kind of issues with Louis's mom and then Louis's wife and not inappropriate stuff, more just like rivalry stuff. Right. And then the biggest thing too is it's almost like it's almost even hard to believe that he doesn't get credit to this day. The modern view of 
national pride and nation states and France is France and Germany is Germany yes. and here's our line and we and countries right and yeah. countries versus countries that's Cardinal Richelieu's idea like before right. that it was yeah. well the king rules this area but the nobles are kind of autonomous over here and the border here is kind of soft and these yeah. nobles kind of side with everything right. no 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 the country of France and that was kind of his his problem with like the Huguenots is you know that Maybe, you know, to other people like, oh, yeah, you know, they're like this different group, you know, that just kind of like is in France and and they're kind of separate from like what the king is doing. But he's like, uh, no, the king is the head of the state and the state is the power in France. And we shouldn't have another power that has their own army in our own country because we are a country and we have a national interest that they go against our national interest. Right. And to the point where he put national interest above religious interest which was like a thing that was unheard of at the time especially as a member right, of the catholic right. church a high-ranking member of the catholic church he's like no 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 no. like my allegiance is first to france because i'm a right. french person and then to the catholic church to the point where he got a lot of flack from catholics because he was aligning france with protestant powers like england because they had split from the catholic church at the time and yeah, so there was Catholics that were like, well, we can't, France can't be aligned with England because England, they're Anglicans, they're the Church of England, and we're French, we're the Catholics. They're like, no, this is a political alliance, it's for our national security. Put religion aside for a second, we need to, like, do what's best for our country. And that was, he was, like, the first big-time ruler to think like that. Right, right. We talked about last time Genghis Khan being so innovative for his time in ways we don't appreciate today. That's Cardinal Richelieu, super innovative for the time. For sure. And... Yes, the depiction yep. of we of him we get through the Scream of the Tears is more of kind of this Machiavellian kind of manipulator. And he may have been that, yeah. but he also may have just been an ardent patriot. Right. And it's you know probably a combination of both, where he's kind of an ambitious patriot for, for France. Right. And the and the, the concept of a patriot wasn't really Oh exactly. Wasn't really a right. thing before him because before that it was like, well, I serve my king or my I con. serve right. you know, the church. But he's like, no, I serve the country of France, which I think is really cool. right, right. And something I this here's something I kind of ran across that I found interesting. So part of him, when he was choosing Protestants over Catholic factions in other parts of Europe, like you said, it was because it was in the best interest of France. But the the one I thought was most interesting was it was a video talking about how he recognized the danger and power of a united Germany. So the Holy Roman Empire. Right. was essentially kind of Germany, but it was all these disparate city-states. If you look at a map of the Holy Roman Empire, it almost looks like a joke. Like, there's no way this is real. It looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. Right, like the, right. The, with the colors uh, showing what different groups had powers and what different areas. It's, it's insane. Right. So if the Catholic Holy Roman Emperor successfully united all of Germany under his kind of Catholic rule and, and either ousted or brought to heal the Protestant factions within Germany and united Germany uh, in a way that the Holy Roman Empire was not uniting them, Richelieu recognized they would dominate Europe in the same way that a united China was dominating East Asia. And they kind of saw because of the resources and the population and just the tools were there, they just weren't united. And what's crazy is he was right because, again, what this video kind of followed up with is once Germany did combine in the late 1800s, boom, World War One, World War Two, because the power of United Germany 
swinging its muscle was a force to be reckoned with. And Richelieu identified this, you know, a few hundred years before that and made sure to stop it. It was, anyways, fascinating. And in the process of stopping Germany, he established France as this major European power for like the next 200 years. Right, exactly. Because he stopped, he thwarted Germany, it became, you know, possible for France to be the power instead. Right. And then, of course, that doesn't even get into his whole kind of rise to power where uh, after kind of first kind of wanted to do military stuff, ends up in, in the church and gets made a bishop at 22, which is, you know, not old enough. So he had to like go to Rome to get special dispensation to be allowed to be a bishop at that young and just a super competent player who, again, kind of like a little finger was playing the game, but also like a Varus right. serving the realm. Well, and it's an apt comparison to Varus because he also was a kind of, in addition to being this, you know, big religious figure, the kind of pulling the strings was the power behind the throne and is also like essentially the secretary of state for France. He's also has this like really intricate spy network. Oh, right, right. And a really good intelligence gathering system to the point where there were like multiple assassination attempts against him. And he found out and rooted out all of them because his spies were just that good that no one could plan anything against him without him knowing it. That's crazy. And again, you're talking about someone who, yeah, in the late 16th, early 17th centuries. That's, uh, yeah, that's fascinating. The case against Cardinal Richelieu is, again, there's others who kind of, there's all these advisors over the century. You know, there's there dozens yeah. you could list. I mean, there's Roger Mortimer, who we talked about. Wasn't he the one with Isabella of France? And and just a, a, yeah, million, right. a million others. You know, even you get other people like, you know, George Villers, the Duke of Buckingham, who's also mentioned in the Three Musketeers, kind of had his whole thing that's yeah. interesting. So there's there's lots of these figures over history. And also uh, with who we're about to talk about next, Queen Elizabeth I has her Sir Francis Walsingham, mm. who's also kind of like right, the spy master right. doing the same thing. Um, intelligence gathering, pulling strings behind the scenes, also rooting out assassination attempts, but kind of the same or, right. or similar um, position. Or you had Warwick the Kingmaker back during Richard III's time and, and the whole War of the Roses thing, where he was kind of one of the guys behind the scenes, arranging marriages and changing sides to decide who should sit the throne. So there's definitely these powers behind the throne all over the world, all throughout history. So does Richelieu stand out that much above right. them all? Maybe. So what's funny is, we'll see how this goes here, but I okay. kind of sat down at the start of this conversation of, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I lean Mozart. And then as we, talk, as we talked oh, really? about it, I think I talked myself into Richelieu. So before... Before we start recording, this is kind of a little behind the scenes thing, but in my notes, I have, you know, each matchup with each person and then their notes and whichever person I, through my research, choose to vote for, which it could change, like, you know, right, right. over the course of our conversation, for instance, like, I have bolded, underlined and italicized Robert the Bruce, but during our conversation, I was like, ah, well, you know, Henry the Seventh. I, I think has a better case. Okay. Okay. Um, so in in this case, though, uh, my my mind was not changed, and bolded in my notes is Cardinal Richelieu. Oh, interesting. So yeah, I like I said, I I don't have it marked ahead of time. I do have just kind of a here's the way I think I'm going, and then we hash it out. Okay. And like I said, yeah. there's times where I'm seriously as we've hashed both sides out, and I'm still not 100 percent sure, and I just kind of feel the room and. What what feels right? Not that I'm just like trying to side with you, but if I'm you know fifty fifty, I tend to kind of agree with your excitement maybe. So, but this okay. is one I think I sat I think I think I sat down thinking 
No, Mozart is so fascinating with just, you know, the child prodigy and this unique genius that stands the test of time. I think I sat down, even being a Three Musketeers fan, planning to vote for Mozart. And then as we started talking about Cardinal Richelieu, I was like, oh, I'm changing my mind. I got to go Richelieu, regardless of what you were going to do. Yeah, I, I think he just, he did more. He definitely wore more hats. And I think that his, even if he doesn't necessarily have the same name recognition, notoriety that Mozart does today, the things that he did, I think, impacted the world, definitely Europe, more than Mozart, if that makes sense. Yes, but again, you know, to what extent is that a criteria that we need to have in mind? And that's, that is all very arbitrary, right, right, and, right. <laughs> and, you know, maybe it's not. Maybe maybe somebody else doing this is like, well, Cardinal Richelieu never did anything artistic, <laughs> and Mozart's one of the greatest, you know, musical artists right, of all right. time, and so that's why you should right. vote for him. But, um, you know, this is, this is a... This is, uh, this is our show, so <laughs> I'm voting for Cardinal Well, it's funny, Richelieu. too, is didn't, and it, might, it might have been after we had stopped recording, but didn't Joe, when we brought him on to talk about uh, Caesar and Ramesses, didn't he look ahead and kind of say, like, well, Mozart's an obvious choice there? Didn't he kind of just... Oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I, I was thinking he thought it was, like, oh, a no-brainer that Mozart would win this whole quarter that we're getting ready to talk about. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Um, and again, I, I do think, too, I think anybody who's looking at the bracket will be confused by a lot of our choices. But I would hope that when they listen to our discussions, even if they ultimately disagree, they at least see how we got there. And I think that's the case. I think if you listen, if you listen to them all, you'll see how we got there. Yeah. Okay, our next matchup today pits Queen Elizabeth I, the last of the Tudor dynasty. You know, you think of Elizabeth in England. That's who that refers to, a uh, kind of glorious time for right. England there, and versus Wyatt Earp of Wichita, Dodge City, Tombstone, Deadwood fame. Just kind of was a man of, yeah. uh, man about town, a man all over the West making a name for himself and becoming an absolute legend. So let's do the impartial argument for and against Queen Elizabeth I. And I do think she stands out amongst other monarchs and obviously we do have other english monarchs on on the list here or their consorts or whoever but i i do think she stands out of kind of this rise and fall in a way where she's the daughter of king henry the eighth which of course having henry the eighth as your father already makes your life interesting and then her mother is anne boleyn who then is executed by her father so yep dad the king executed my mother for high treason oh her life is like full of these crazy like maybe the person connected to the most executions of anyone at least you know high profile. <laughs> like her her dad her dad has her mom executed for treason then her sister is mary the first bloody mary who does all of these executions of protestants in england because she you know thinks that uh, you know god wants her to punish the protestants and then she has her cousin mary queen of scots executed also for treason uh it's just there's so many people in queen elizabeth's life getting their heads chopped off it's it's oh, insane that's true what even even other i guess you always forget too that Yes, her mother was executed, but her mother was only the second of the six wives of Henry VIII, and two more were executed, right? So, or one more was executed. One more, sorry. One, one more. And one more, yeah, and one one more, more was executed. executed. So it's like, oh, yeah, he just, now he just executed my stepmom. And, exactly. And then yeah. when she's still young, too, the kind of creepy one, just kind of we're going to go chronologically-ish, um, she ends up 
talked about video talked about her stepfather and i do remember reading about this too it's like stepfather how would that work it's like oh well henry VIII's last wife when he died catherine parr remarried a man named thomas seymour who may have seduced a teenage elizabeth is there any relation between that guy and jane seymour the f- one of the, which wife was she? she was the third because she's the jane seymour was the mother of of edward the sixth or whatever edward the th- yeah, yeah, yeah edward the i think it's sixth because fifth was the prince in the tower yeah yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i i think they're related is that worth looking up real quick uh let's see father sir john seymour whose other children include jane queen of england yep okay so the brother of henry the eighth's third wife (laughs) right remarried or married his last sixth wife right the sixth wife and may have fooled around with his daughter (laughs) this is that's disgusting when she was like 14 (laughs) yeah oh god (laughs) jesus christ anyway and so yeah then when her 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 first her younger brother becomes king and then he doesn't live very long and then so her sister who's then catholic and reverts the country back to catholicism and goes on the bloody mary rampage and then ends up imprisoning her younger sister. And there's also the whole, she's declared officially illegitimate because, you know, even part of executing Anne Boleyn is you kind of may say the marriage doesn't count. And then, so that means Elizabeth doesn't count. And so is she even actually a legitimate heir of Henry's or is she actually now officially a bastard if the marriage we're saying doesn't count retroactively? And that's a whole mess. And yeah, she ends up basically, you know, imprisoned by her sister who then after not having any children of her own, Frankly, just for sheer coincidence, she was married. She was trying. So the the idea that Elizabeth even became queen in the first place as the second daughter and has a younger brother who goes ahead of her and of the second right. wife, when his, her father had six total wives and her then her right. older sister does get married and try. How does this person end up queen of England, let alone queen of England for decades, and has one of the longest, most yeah, prosperous exactly. reigns? And then you get in the whole stuff. I think second, second only to Elizabeth II, right? Isn't her um, I forget off the top of my head. You got one of the Georges is pretty long in there. And uh, so I forget off the top of my head. Because the, cur- the current one is like by far the longest. For England. Right? She still hasn't caught like Louis Fourteenth and other people even in Europe. But yeah. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm saying specifically for English monarchs, though. Uh, so actually, no. So even at... 44 and a half years she's ninth on the list of just english elizabeth the second sorry i'm oh, sorry elizabeth the first oh god okay <laughs> i went i went back to okay. the question you asked not our tangent <laughs> right yeah gotcha. yeah yeah um, <laughs> so she's ninth she's actually ninth yeah you get victoria george the third james uh, the sixth of scotland so james the first henry the third edward the third william the f- oh Wait, this is counting Scottish kings. So she is still... Oh, this is tricky. Oh, is this saying British Isles? So it does have some Scottish people ahead of her. So she's behind the current queen, Queen Elizabeth, George III. Then it gets a little tricky because I think for James VI, they're counting his Scottish reign also. But even Henry III was 56 years? That can't be... Is that right? That's crazy. Because that's the son of Prince John. I didn't realize he was king that long. Yeah, that's right. Holy cow. Anyway, so yes, one of the, one of the longer reigns though. 44 and a half years and then you get into the whole well a couple things you get into the arts side of things she was a big promoter of the arts and the old shakespeare was kind of during the end of her reign but then you also have like battles with spain and i didn't ever watch the sequel to the yeah fighting the spanish armada right i mean not her personally right but and then the whole virgin queen thing 
Which is interesting. Basically, yeah. she had lovers throughout her life, but officially on paper, right. it was basically... She was never married. She was never married. And, but it also was interesting. It was basically a political and power decision, both from her own standpoint. It helps secure her own reign, and she doesn't have bring in a husband who can undermine her authority. But then also, right. it might have been the better move for England as a state. So yes, it's going to end the Tudor line. They're going to have to go figure out who succeeds her. But during her reign, it probably would have become a mess if she had then married, basically by choosing, the power she bestows on her husband's family might have upset the power balance in England at the time. And she just chose not to mess with it. And also, it like that's her huge bargaining chip. That she can use to then lead on a bunch of other world leaders. Yes. Like, oh, hey, maybe, yes. you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just right. saying. Right, you never you, know. If you maybe do this for me, maybe, I, maybe you know, you can have right. your, maybe I can have, you know, your, you can sire the next. King uh, of England, yeah, yeah. King or queen yep. of England. And even though she never does. Right. But, uh, yeah, to, to definitely be able to use that. And, and. You marry once, you're done. You right. You can't do that anymore. But she could did she it could, a bunch She of could dangle that out there. And yeah, so yes. So kind of both sides of that. Both the political side of how she was dealing with that yeah. as a bargaining chip. And then also how she also had a series of lovers. Right. And- oh, yeah. A lot of the... Uh, we, we talked about... Um, in the Ramses versus Julius Caesar, you know, having the the affairs and the juicy gossip and the drama stuff. Oh, she's got yeah, that space. Yeah. Like she, <laughs> there's a lot of that going on in uh, Queen Elizabeth the First reign for sure. And what I and what I don't know, and I guess we don't need to get too into the weeds on something like this. But in this time, so this is again the 16th century. She so died in 1603. How do you avoid getting pregnant that successfully in the 1500s? And I know they had contraception, like they would make you know lamb skin or lamb intestine condoms and there was ways around it but you got it i just don't i don't get it i don't i don't see how you assure because as the queen she couldn't afford to get pregnant basically and have a bastard maybe in addition to being kings could there's a double standard obviously right who cares but maybe in addition to being like you know super fortunate just to have ended up the queen of england maybe she also just got really lucky it just never it just never happened right right and again there are some stories of other you know prominent women because you also could there's no media so in theory and again but i haven't heard any rumors so like you you could in theory just hide your pregnancy have the kid and give it away there are no rumors to that effect that i've ever heard of about queen elizabeth the first right that kind of thing could happen yeah especially in a in a date right where you're not seeing pictures of anyone in magazines you know the the only time you're seeing a likeness of the queen is like some sort of portrait or seeing her in person and back then it probably wasn't uncommon for you know the royalty to be gone for right right time so i mean i guess it's technically possible but yeah historians i i think would have been able to uncover something no right there there tends to be rumors and the one that you know i always talk about queen margaret of denmark and she does have one of those stories that she might have actually had a uh a bastard with one of her kind of commanders of yeah and really and just kind of secreted the kid away but again so it it survives today as a rumor but queen elizabeth doesn't even seem to have those rumors right And, and i i think that it definitely you would have seen one because she did have uh What's his name? Well, which she had, she had kind of a series of prominent boys. <laughs> Robert Dudley. Robert Dudley is the one that I'm thinking of. Okay, but then also she rumored to have a thing with Sir Walter Raleigh. Oh, 
the explorer who came to America and founded Virginia, named after the Virgin Queen. Right, right. Elizabeth right. I. I do always kind of find that fascinating, how much stuff we forget. This is a side note, but we, we're good at those. The age of exploration at the time, you kind of end up with all this stuff on the East Coast of the United States. Well, those were British expeditions, so it's Maryland right. after Queen Mary and Virginia after the yeah. Virgin Queen yeah. with the town of Jamestown yeah. after King James. and Queen Elizabeth I that was the first British monarch to meet any Native Americans because Walter Raleigh brought two back. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Expeditions. And, which, not to like say, hey, here's these cool people and we should, like, share their culture. He brought them back as, like, here's some trophies that I got. Um, So, (laughs) yeah. Oof size large on that one. But Uh, So, so again, what an interesting time to be alive when the whole whole world has just gotten opened up. And, yes, we're 100 years after Columbus, but we're opening up that whole side of the world and she's getting to see the kind of the fruits of that with with England. She also, uh, Queen Elizabeth I, was, like, giving privateers licenses, basically state-sanctioned and state-funded piracy for, like, Francis Drake to go do pirate stuff against the Spanish out in the Caribbean, which I think is really cool. Didn't they just call it, like, privateering? And that way, well, we're not supporting piracies. They're, they're, they're privateers, which is this code word for pirate. Right, but it was a private, they had a privateer's right, license right. From, from the crown. State-sanctioned piracy, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and yeah, she was super smart, well-educated, just a, just an amazing, amazing woman that was in many ways ahead yeah. of her time. And it's just interesting, too, you think about how, you know, Empress Matilda was never allowed to become Queen of England, but then here are her ancestors, Mary and Elizabeth, becoming back-to-back kind of the first uh, ever Queens of England. Case against Queen Elizabeth... It might be similar to one we've made about others where... Maybe agency, I think, is maybe That's the what main, I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The main argument, because even though, I mean, led a super interesting life, but like... Was just along for the ride in some ways. Right. She didn't choose when to be born or who to be born to. She does a lot of things, like, you know, has this positive effort towards things, but also a lot of the interesting stuff that happens to her just kind of happens to her, like the multiple assassination plots, the... I don't know, the conflict of Spain she kind of inherited, not necessarily was like her mastermind. Right. In some ways, she's just the butt in the throne, and all this stuff is happening. Right, yeah. But but again, I, I still think, I mean, that, her life was still interesting, and she was still very competent, but the biggest For decisions, sure. she, as far as agency, the biggest decisions she seemed to make was the whole never getting married thing. That was her call. Right. And you could also, I guess kind of make the one hat argument as well where she is you know yeah she does the roy she does the royalty stuff and that's pretty right. much i mean she's not she's not going out and fighting battles she's not and we don't have oh we have like the magna carta or all these political things like a lot of those yeah we can't say yeah. like oh this is the big thing she changed for, that's still around today I, we, I can't point to anything like that other than the whole time period was kind of right. you know thriving and some of the art survives but right. she wasn't creating that art yet right um, okay, her opponent today is Wyatt Earp. One of, like I said, one of just a couple of Americans oh, on our yeah. list here. <laughs> so the case, uh, again, impartial case for uh, and against uh, Wyatt Earp here. Kind of, we, we again, we talk about different hats being something that kind of interests interests us as far as being in, as. Oh. And, uh, he wore a lot of them. Uh, he might have the most of anyone on the entire list. I mean, lawman, bar owner, brothel owner. Pimp, by the way, that's how he met his second <laughs> wife. 
He was a miner. He was a hunter. He was a gambler. He was a boxing referee. He was like... I say, the boxing referee is the one that always blows me away. He was like uh, (laughs) in early Hollywood. I mean, this dude, he did everything. Right, you forget he didn't die until 1929. So, like, he died not long before the stock market crash that led to the Great Depression. And which is so weird when you think about him associated with the Old West. Right. Think of, like, uh, he, he was alive to see, like, the first couple Oscar ceremonies. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. When they even talk about, like, you know, in, well, in the movie Tombstone, the kind of the coda there is that these big Hollywood Western stars were able to come to his funeral. And, that, you know, these, you know, they talk right. about these tough, you know, these tough cowboys on screen where, you know, crying at Wyatt Earp's funeral in 1929. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah, the different, the different hats is a bit, it just, it just kind of, you know, you go to, well, we're not, I'm not too far from, you know, Dodge City, Kansas, where the, the main street kind of right through it is Wyatt Earp Boulevard. And, oh, yeah. So he is probably, well, not probably. He is by far the person that I have, I guess, the most personal oh, connection really? to. Oh, because Kansas and Arizona. You lived in Kansas, now you live in Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not not only because I just love the movie Tombstone. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, which, by the way, not to tip my hand or anything for voting, but I am drinking coffee right now <laughs> out of my uh, You Tell Them I'm Coming and Hell's Coming With Me <laughs> Tombstone mug. But yeah, he was a, uh, a lawman and brothel owner in Wichita, and then a lawman in Dodge City, and then a lawman in Tombstone, Arizona. And, you know, yeah, like you said, I'm originally from Kansas. Now I live in Arizona. I've been to Cowtown in Kansas, (laughs) and I've been to Tombstone, Arizona. I've been to the OK Corral. I've seen, you know, Billy Clanton, or, uh, yeah, Billy Clanton and Tom Clanton, or Tom and Frank McClowry, their graves at Boot Hill Cemetery, Fred White's graves at Boot Hill Cemetery. Yeah, it's... (laughs) <laughs> this uh i i absolutely love the story of wider i think it's so cool i did just i just finished watching deadwood and him and uh morgan show up in just a couple episodes kind of visiting through deadwood yeah yeah i, was, yeah, I, I for, forgot to even uh bring that up that he we, we talked about in the most recent episode at time of recording of the trackers podcast that you were getting really into deadwood and i read um that he went to Deadwood at one point. I, I didn't know if he shows up in the show at all. I don't think they were there long in real life. And then, yeah, they kind of show up just near the end of the third season and then just kind of like disappear. And I don't know if they're going to try to bring him back or not because that, the show kind of ended abruptly. So if they were going to bring the Earps back, oh. it didn't work out. So they got they got non-renewed. Gotcha. So like the show just ends after the third season. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I don't know if the Earps were going to be brought back or not. But I don't think they were there very long anyway. They kind of just, if I, if I remember right from doing my research, you know, a couple years ago for the Tombstone episode, they just kind of went up there like for a winter and, you know, did it, you know, hung out in Deadwood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they only made one trip and yeah, it wasn't for that long. Yeah. It's, he did so much stuff and like he, the stuff that he is known for is kind of the stuff that he did towards the end of his cowboying career. So he was the lawman in Kansas first, basically retires, moves out West because he wants to make money doing like mining stuff. And then kind of gets roped into doing lawman stuff again. And then, you know, one of his brothers, Virgil, gets shot, doesn't die. Morgan gets shot and dies. So then he's like, well, now I'm going on this rampage, killing all these cowboys. And he goes through all these shootouts, never gets shot. Right, right. Which just kind of like makes him a like an Old West right. god, basically. Like there, there were uh, times where he would get in shootouts. Um, one of them I read about, he had like 
bullet holes on either side of his coat and like one in his boot heel but he himself didn't get shot yeah, he was never hit by a bullet right in his whole career uh i don't know about his whole career but definitely not okay. during the tombstone stuff he was never never shot well remember though too even before going to tombstone he'd only been in one or two just kind of real scrapes i think he had maybe shot he had shot and That's killed a guy true. and then you know uh doc holiday showed up and saved him at one point but yeah, he right. hadn't really been in a lot of scrapes pre-Tombstone. So if he made it out of Tombstone unscathed, I'm going to say he never got hit. I'd have to double check yeah. that. But uh, no, what's also too is I think the real life guy was less virtuous, but also I think that makes him more interesting than what we see in Tombstone. Oh, that he was yeah. more kind of self-interested and you know this yeah and a lot of the stuff that he did as a lawman was like pure not purely but like a lot for his own self-interest it wasn't out of some like grandiose like he had these ideals about like right and wrong and like he needed to be justice like no the dude before he ever became a lawman he was like put in jail right. twice he escaped jail once he like i said he was a pimp and a gambler and like he he, he actually got uh fired from the wichita police force because he got in a fist fight with a political opponent of one of there his you bosses. Go. Right, right. And they were like, oh, you, we can't have you being a cop around here anymore. So, yeah, it's. but I think that that's, you're right. You're absolutely right. That makes him more interesting as a as a character because he does, is kind of doing all this stuff just kind of for his own gain. Kind of shows the, you know, the gray area. Like, oh, if you do good stuff, but for maybe not so good reasons. Right, and, they, they, and that's why I did appreciate about, you know, it's just a couple episodes of Deadwood, but they kind of show that. They're kind of showing these just kind of him and Morgan. It's just these young, ornery, ready to fight, trying to make a buck. We're going to maybe try to kind of scam you, but we also have a high moral code at the same time. And of course, a young Wyatt, tying in a little bit to the moral code thing, but you know, a young Wyatt, you know, them being from like the Midwest, northern, you know, northern Midwest and wanting to go help fight the Union, but Wyatt was too young. He was only 13 when the war broke out. And, it's just kind of fascinating time in America with, you know, the post-war or sorry, <laughs> with the post-Civil War and, you know, pre-20th yeah. century uh, westward expansion and all these kind of boom towns, which is, of course, why he moves the tombstone in the first place. It's a silver mine boom town. Right. And yeah, interesting time to be alive. And he was definitely he, he was he was born or he was. Yeah, born at, like, the perfect time for him to be able to do all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, if he's born a little bit earlier you know, the West isn't really settled yet, but if he, it's a little bit later... Or he dies in the Civil War. <laughs> right, right. But then, you know, a little bit later, and it's, you know, it's too civilized. He can't get away with all this stuff. It's not the Wild West anymore. Right, right. And we never hear his name, right. Exactly. He's at this perfect spot where he can do all this crazy stuff in the Wild West and then go out and be in early Hollywood. And, yeah, it's crazy that he lived this insane life and then dies an old man in hollywood like with movie stars right it's so cool yeah and a lot of his reputation is probably he was they wrote about him so he became a kind of this mythical figure through a lot of the writings about him kind of post uh post okay corral and stuff and you know and some of that was probably exaggerated but the real life version was still very interesting right and the case against is well, you know there was there was several of these guys you know you got doc holiday and you got you know uh billy the kid who we saw in bill and ted's and there's definitely other kind of interesting lawmen and outlaws and all the people that populated the West. And he was definitely one of them and one of the most prominent. But, you know, Jock Holiday's pretty darn interesting, too. So, so there's just kind of a lot of lot of people wearing these yeah. different... His own brothers. His own brothers were doing all the same stuff. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he's the one who uh, survived and made it to the end. And 
to this day, the uh, tourism industry in Tombstone, Arizona is around pretty much because, uh, I mean, Wyatt Earp and his brothers and Doc Holliday, but like, Wyatt Earp's the main one. Right, right. When Dodge City has its own little setup too, where it tries to get tourists there. And there's like, yeah. I think I even got it, well, I think it's Doc Holliday, but like, there's like a little bronze statue I sat next to a couple years ago, you know, sitting next to the statue of Doc Holliday and yeah, all the Wyatt Earp stuff there too. Okay, um, I, I'm getting the vibe that we're going to be putting some numbers down because I'm a big fan of both of these people, but I got to go Elizabeth first. Oh, I'm voting for Wyatt Earp. Okay. <laughs> I, this is what we, we saw my, coming. My like, no, we sat down today to record. I knew this was coming. I think I think we both knew this was coming. <laughs> for sure. I, yeah. I, like, we, we've, well, this is like, it's the perfect... It's the perfect matchup for like the things that we're both oh, interested right, in, right. like you with the the British royalty history and me with the Wild West history. It's like right, true. It was it was almost a matchup destined to pit <laughs> us against each other in our own. This is exactly. our own showdown at the OK Corral. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how we break our ties? This is just the third tie. So let's see. We have a total of sixteen matchups in this first round of thirty-two, and. This is the 14th we've discussed. We have two more matchups to discuss, and it's only the third disagreement we've had where we had to basically break the tie. So what we do is just kind of a blind vote for the first round. We each have a total of 100 points that we basically get to bid. So you have to kind of budget your bids throughout. So the first one was I chose Dracula, and Logan chose Isabella of France. Uh, he felt more strongly than I did, so he bid 40 to just my 7, which left him with only 60 points, and I still had my full 100 when we had Julius Caesar versus Ramius II, where if you remember, if you joined us there, we both bid 25 and had to have <laughs> our history teacher friend Joe Huebner break the tie for us there. That did go to, to me, so I lost 25 there. So heading into this matchup, Logan has 60 points to play with. I have 75 points to play right. with. And we got to both keep in mind that we only have two more matchups to go. And to what extent do the points even need to last past this round? <laughs> right. So we're both going to write down a number that neither of us will see until we uh, hit enter. All right. I have my number locked in. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do a little, uh, we'll say three, two, one, go and reveal our numbers. Yep. Okay, three, two, one, go. <laughs> God damn it, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> so oh. I basically, by having more points, I knew Logan had 60 left. I bid 61, and Logan could... Uh, and I bid all 60. Yep. Logan mine. could not, and Logan bid all 60, but I knew he, he couldn't catch oh, me. Oh, no. Now, so Logan now still has for the next couple of matchups. But again, I think we might agree on that, which is why I went so aggressive. I could see us agreeing on the next rounds. Oh, I, this was the only matchup in the next, in the first, this is the only matchup in the first round that I like really. Oh, well, now I feel bad. <laughs> really cared about. But that was the breaks. That was, that was that's the breaks. That was the breaks. I'm, I'm Matt Franklin didn't make it to the six, week 16. I honestly, I, I thought that if Wyatt Earp, won this round he might have gone on to even win the whole thing oh just because yeah because i'd probably of... put yeah I, I think he probably makes it out to, to the next round for sure it, it, i think elizabeth is a tough matchup and again i'm not anti-wyatt earp i just i'm a no, really I'm big just... fan of queen elizabeth the third or <laughs> queen elizabeth right. the first having this super interesting unique yeah. life yeah and uh well i do like wyatt earp and i wonder maybe if it's a little of our american centrism even having him on this list in the first place and yeah oh yeah 
Uh, for sure. And f- the reason that I care about, hi- you know, his place in the bracket so much is because I love Tombstone and I'm from Kansas and I live in Arizona and I've been to right, Tombstone. Like, right, right. It's totally subjective. Like, oh, I'm, right, I'm right. completely biased and I admit that, <laughs> you know, fully. But that doesn't change the fact that I wanted him to, like, go pretty much all the way. Like, I'd, but... You know, that's that's how it goes. Right. That's how it goes. I what was and the sergeant saying thanks. So you now have sixty points left. So you actually have now you're ahead of me, because I would only have let's see, so that gives me eighty six. So I only have fourteen six. points left. Yeah. Okay. But I kind of anticipate that we'll agree in the last round here and then we'll reset our hundred for the next round. Yeah. Well, now I just you know, now I just I I really gotta pull for Isabella France because I invested so you know, much in her. <laughs> I invested so much into her. <laughs> I gotta make sure that she, but oh, fuck, she's going up against Empress Matilda next. So who knows, dude? <laughs> that was that might have been a little short sighted on my part. Well, but that's also part of the fun. This first round is almost just kind of our chaotic as we kind of will it down to the Sweet Sixteen, where it really starts in earnest. When we kind of say, okay, now we're gonna do full full bios, bios yeah. on those Sweet Sixteen, and it's almost kind of a crapshoot how you get to the Sweet Sixteen, where you then get your you get to put, we'll put your full lives on display. Right. To kind of hash it out again there. So, again, it's kind of funny. And, again, for the listener, we actually recorded today's episode and last night's episode all on the same day here in February. And I knew when we sat down to talk about these eight people that the one we were going to fight on was Elizabeth the First versus Wyatt <laughs> Earp. I just knew it. And I think Logan knew it, too. I think we even I think we even had a text conversation when we were deciding whether we wanted to do record one episode today or two episodes and i said oh two episodes because i want to have the wyatt earp queen elizabeth the first <laughs> conversation because i knew that it was it was going to be we were both going to be super invested in no it. and also too so this one and then also you know a couple times ago when we when you kind of had the bad beat on julius caesar too those are wyatt earp and julius caesar are both people i would put ahead of other people who have made it to the sweet 16 Right, just not in the matchups they happen to face. And th- right, that's just that's uh, that's just that's not how the bracket worked yep, out. Yep. So yeah, so kind of a bad beat there. Okay, so we have one more episode to get us through the first round here before we get into the Sweet Sixteen. So we get into our modern times region. We'll see Gandhi versus Eva Perón from Evita, a movie we just hated, <laughs> but she did have a very interesting life. Yeah. And T.E. Lawrence versus Ip Man, who we also talked about in our third season hiatus. Join us next time as we hash that out. <laughs>